and all of my contracts vanished. All the things that I was afraid to say no to, I was starting to feel drained. I was I was really racking my brain like how do I say no to this very comfortable life? Uh, what is my what am I doing exactly next? We will be back in a minute to talk about rewiring your brain. But first, here's a message from our sponsor, Mindset Shift. Have you ever told yourself, I don't think I can do this? Or they will never go for it? Or I'm not just a good enough leader? The things you tell yourself that hold you back. Imagine if you could remove all those boundaries just by holding them up and actually looking at them, figuring out where they come from and how to tackle them. At Mindset Shift, that's what we do. We help innovative and rebellious leaders that want to make extraordinary things happen for themselves, for their team, for their business and their culture. We help you unlock your growth. Through actionable coaching, workshops, leadership development programs, facilitation or speaking, we create foundational people for profit environments, the kinds where productivity and innovation soar and culture inclusion and equity sits at the heart of operations. Are you ready to step out the box and take your organization to the next level? Contact us today at www.mindsetshift.co.uk to unlock your growth. Welcome to Everyday Leadership, podcast where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways. And on this podcast, they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. Welcome to Everyday Leadership and Today, I, I have the pleasure of, of talking to Jocelyn Brady. You know, Mathin's Martin, mindset is all about how you see things, how you look at things. And I thought, why about we have a conversation with someone who's also fascinated with not how just the mind works, but how the brain works, how we make decisions, the stories we kind of tell ourselves. And someone who has fun with the way that she does it and breaks things down in such a easy, simple, energetic way. Jocelyn Brady, the founder and CEO of Scribe Stories, is that person. How you doing? Hello. Thank you so much for that intro. Good to be here. Uh, I am, I'm looking forward to it. We were, we were having a conversation last week or two weeks ago. I'm like, nah, let's do, let's do this in the podcast. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's jump in the podcast. And, and like with all my guests, I always like to go from where you started, your origin story, how you got to what you do right now. I know you've, you've talked about, I'm just reading some of your, your bio around being a welfare kid, growing homeless at seven to home homeless at 30. So what's that period that took you from where you were to what you do right now like for you? Oh, yeah. So yeah, my, I was seven when my house burned down. We moved to Hawaii and uh, it was April 1st. We got the news that your house is going to burn down. Law is going to take it out. We're like, haha, funny April Fools. Oh, it's not funny at all. It's true. So that was my for my introduction to Hawaii and then going to the homeless shelter and yeah, growing up in welfare. Um, part of that, you know, there's I also got to live in an incredible place and we got amazing houses. Um, all things considered, it's like really lucky i consider some of the things that we landed into living on the cliff side for a few years and just waking up and you know chilling with turtles and dolphins basically in my backyard whales watching whales get born so all of that stuff is with me forever and i'm incredibly grateful for that and and my dad really raised me with this reverence for nature and creativity and um, I remember I once made a chart of uh, chores that he should pay me for. I didn't really understand that we didn't have like any money. And, and he's like, you know, this is cute. And he like put it on the fridge and he never paid me. He's like, yeah, go clean the toilet. Cool. <laughs> but, you know, um, and he would say, don't rush into getting a job. You have your whole life to work. 
So I have some of this, you know, percolating in my brain. And um, when I moved, shortly after I moved to Portland, I moved here with uh, eight of us moved here together, <laughs> like in, into one house. And um, Wait, was that had family, me, friends, or just a group of you? Uh, my boyfriend at the time was a drummer in a band. So the band and the girlfriends okay. and a couple <laughs> friends. And, and uh, uh, yeah, and I just... I started to get any job I could. My very first job in Portland was the most ill fit. It was door to door selling Kirby vacuum cleaners. And uh, I remember, you know, they, they'd say like, if you get a vacuum demo in the door, we'll give you 50 bucks. And if you sell one, I don't like $500, you know? And, um, I hated that with everything in me. I was like, this is the worst. I do not want to sell anyone a vacuum. This is disgusting. They're going to come in and show you like, oh, I'm going to vacuum your pillows and tell you about all the mites that are in here to, to sell you this vacuum. It's gross. But I also wanted $50. So I got in a house by telling them the truth and saying, listen, this other dude's going to try to do this. But if you let me in, I get 50 bucks. And they're like, You're, you seem like a nice girl. Why aren't you in college? I'm like, you know, I'm saving up for it. Um, fast forward several years, you know, I studied, uh, all kinds of majors. I dabbled around, you know, at one point I'm like, I'm going to be an astronomer. So I had a minor in that. I'm going to be a marine biologist. Now it turns out I don't really like doing anything except playing with the animals. Um, I don't want to do all the study in math and writing though was always in there. Um, I had been writing since I was a kid. I was more comfortable telling stories and absorbing them than being me and a person in the world a lot of the time. Um, so that led me into finally got my degree. It took me seven years to get my undergrad. And uh, I got it in English and then started writing. I got it. I was going to be a copywriter, I guess. And I got a job as a copywriter. Um, uh, and that is a long story, but that, that job quit me. And... <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I need to stop you there. Just stop you there. We talked about, we had Art Bell, founder of Comedy Central, on a little while ago. And he gave us his story of how his job quit him. So I'm just curious to hear yours because <laughs> it happened on your birthday as well. So what happened in your scenario? So, okay, this is why I like to tell people I'm unemployable. Um, I think. I'm a great collaborator and listener and coach. I'm not the best person to put into your employee team. Um, I'm, I don't do well with, like, I want to ask a lot of questions. If things don't make sense, I'm like, yeah, but this seems really inefficient. Why, manager in our flat structure organization, ahem, uh, are you telling me to forward this email to somebody else, but you just wrote it. Like you're literally, you just want me to like copy and paste that. This is stupid. This is a waste of time. I didn't get it. You know, it was like that. I don't, I disagree. So I think I should just instead work on uh, a direct mail campaign for the agency. Yes, that's what I'll do. I just decided, you know, things for myself and that doesn't, uh, suit well, uh, with most organizations or managers. Um, and you know, I was just mouthy about what I thought we should be doing. Um, and eventually it came to a head. I flipped out at my manager, uh, had, had a lady parts appointment and she questioned whether it was real. And, uh, and I, you know, just kind of snapped and she was shaken and I was like, why don't you go tell the owner about this and go, go run and cry and tell her. So that didn't win me any brownie points. And that's later that um, afternoon, my email was cut off and I call IT and I'm like, why doesn't my email work? He's like, oh, I don't know. What's a mystery? <laughs> wait, wait, they didn't tell you. <laughs> no, no, this, and this is why I say they quit me because I, you know, I'm like, what's going on? And I got a call from the CEO and the head of HR and they're like, it was just so weird. They start the call by going, Jocelyn, hi, how are you doing? I'm like, well, uh, mm, it's like 7 p.m. You know, my email doesn't work. So ugh, that's how I'm doing. And they're just going on about, well, sorry to hear that you quit. 
sorry to hear that you decided to quit. And I'm like, my heart's pounding. I'm like, what, 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 what is this? Oh my God, it's gaslighting. No, I didn't quit. <laughs> um, you're going to have to fire me. So it's this long conversation that went nowhere. They decided I quit. I decided that I wasn't going to let them um, quit me, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, you're gonna have to fire me. So uh, yeah, I remember marching in there the next day, just so terrified. But I wanted to confront this person face to face and just, you know, I I know that I'm I could be a little asshat, but like you're gonna have to have to tell me the truth. You're gonna have to fire me. You can't do this. Um. So she did. Uh. She didn't say the words, but yeah, that that was the impetus. That was a catalyst for me starting my own business in 2008. And um, yeah, I remember listening to that art art saying that getting fired was so devastating. And I think the difference in my position was I didn't have anything to lose. I didn't put my blood, sweat and tears into this for years and years. I, it wasn't my baby. Um, so and I was in my 20s. So for me, it was, yes, it hurt. It was devastating in a sense. But I, I also just decided I'm going to make this work on my own. I'm going to make something. Um, so it didn't have that kind of, you know, reeling forever. It was two days later I started my business. Um, and then I applied for my MFA in creative nonfiction writing because why not start a business and also go to a graduate program so that when I'm not writing, I'm writing. Why not? Crazy. Of course, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that though. You, you kind of turned that situation around. It was like, I'm, I'm going I'm to show them. I'm going to show them that I can do this. And you created your own thing. Were you thinking about starting something before that happened? Or was it that final push that did it for you? I think that was the push. I mean, I I kind of had an inkling that I had other things to do. Like, it, I probably wasn't going to be on some traditional or linear path. The prospect of getting a job at an agency was exciting to me um, because I had just learned about copywriting and, um, you know, you can tell stories like poetry that actually pays. Um, that was interesting to me. So, uh, and I had all, all kinds of weird jobs, right? Like the Kirby vacuum cleaners. I worked at Guitar Center, home of the guaranteed lowest price. This is Jocelyn. How may I help you? Um, it's, that sticks forever. You know, bartender, um, uh, a pooper scooper as a kid. So I didn't necessarily know I'm starting a business. This is what's going to be. I don't think I ever, ever would have thought to say those words. I am starting a business intentionally before getting quit. Mm. That's very, very fascinating. And now you help people tell their stories in the best possible way. Yeah, you know, transitioned into, um, I was really, I'd spent many years copywriting, which led into creative direction, hiring, leading teams. And, you know, we're this tiny little collective of misfits, most of us based in Portland and Pacific Northwest, collaborating with big agencies in New York and London and uh, LA, working for these multi-billion dollar brands to develop be be in charge of creating their brand voice and then training their global marketing teams to tell these stories um to adopt their brand voice and it was that led me into falling in love with the workshop facilitation more than anything and over time i started to fall less in love with helping these brands tell their stories I didn't so much want to help these brands tell stories so they could sell. I realized I really wanted to help brains tell better stories so people live well. Because after we do these workshops, you can learn how to be a better writer to sell something. And that is a crucially important skill. I, I believe in it. But if you just go back to old habits and a culture that doesn't nurture your creativity, your curiosity, um, that helps you play. I think so much of that is, is beaten out of us, um, collectively. And we fall into these traps of thinking that 
you know, work can be a slog or it's miserable or we're drowning in meetings and no one really feels like they have the permission to speak up, to ask for a break, um, you know, because they'll, they might quit you. Um, if you, if you say, if you say what's really on your mind, but that's what I wanted to, it's like, that's not okay. I want a world where people feel like they can be free to be themselves and we can disagree and we can even have fun doing that. And that creates, you know, the more diversity we have on the planet, in our conversations, in our classrooms, boardrooms, everywhere, the more creative and smarter and collaborative we get. So that's why I got more into, I want to do brain coaching and training. You've created, you're, you're creating a kind of, culture and organization that you would have thrived in the the place that you got quit from what you were trying to do there if they had what you're trying to do for organizations right now you actually thrived in that in that place because you're able to speak your mind share your ideas share your thoughts challenge certain things and yeah they might push back and tell you that's not how you do it but at least you've had that space to be able to do that and then that point in time you you did it. And it's very interesting when you talk about stories, how our own personal stories and our personal journeys help us to be able to shape and, and move things in a positive way for other people to make sure that they don't go through those experiences that we went through as well. Yeah, absolutely. Just It's just so much as being able to have the conversation and, you know, that, that permission to be vulnerable and play and just like, just just talk to each other. Talk to, uh, you know, my old LinkedIn uh, slogan was getting people to talk like people is all, which is still very true. It's just like, have conversations. It's awkward. It's weird. Sometimes we're talking about stuff we don't really know how to express because feelings are erupting in weird ways. And um, we're so afraid of not saying it right, um, you know, or again, <laughs> getting quit and shut down in a conversation or or in bigger ways. Um from our jobs and our livelihoods, and that can be terrifying. Mm, so true. So you started your company, you've pivoted, you're now a brain coach, but you you talked about how you struggled with the word coach and you hid that side of what you did for, for about four years. <laughs> well, I, I don't... I can relate to that because the word coach, even though I'm an exec coach, even that word coach still sends a little shiver down my spine, like coach. <laughs> but what is it? What is it for you? What's your, I guess, what's your story? What's your feelings around that word coach? And how, why do you take your four years to come out to the world? Yeah, I think so. I found out about Neuroleadership Institute in 2016. This is kind of the height of doing workshops um, for, you know, brand training narratives. And um, I just decided to go for it. And then I got certified in 2017. And, you know, I was a, you know, putting in about a year of training and mentorship and practice. And then I continued to practice after that on the side, like quietly behind the scenes. Because one of the reasons was because Scribe, my business at the time, was doing really well everything was humming along the whole team was in place like we had a couple of really big contracts and then little things along the way so it was like smooth sailing and i got really comfortable i'd never experienced that before and i guess i got afraid to lose that so coming out as a coach and i already felt you know, I'd finally gained the confidence to call myself what I was, which was a CEO, creative director, agency owner. Prior to that, I was like, ah, I, I can help with your writing. Uh, you know, I'm good with words. And they're like, oh, the little writer can help. And it's like the irony of being someone whose passion is words and storytelling, not applying it to myself and realizing people care what you call yourself. The titles <laughs> make an impression. Um, and all of that. So, so I think culmination of finding that comfort in my business groove, feeling financially very secure, um, having that nice rhythm and groove and the fear of deciding, nope, I'm now calling myself a coach. It's like, you just, you just figured out how to do this, Jocelyn, maybe pause. And, uh, 
still would kind of just, you know, whisper to friends and colleagues, just say, if anyone needs a coach on that, uh, <laughs> you can buy me a sandwich and that counts as pay for my hours I'm accruing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, <laughs> I would do it for nothing. I would just, and then I slowly gain the confidence to realize, oh, this is an actual skill. I'm actually good at this. I can charge for this. And, you know, over time was building it. Uh, and it wasn't until, you know, sometimes we have these, you know, the eruptions in life, a literal volcano. Um, the owner of an agency could tell you that you quit and, uh, a global pandemic can cause some chaos, some changes. So for me, COVID came and all of my contracts vanished. All the things that I was afraid to say no to, I was starting to feel drained. I was, I was really racking my brain. Like, how do I say no to this very comfortable life? Uh, what is my, what am I doing exactly next? So yeah, it was like the pandemic. It's like, yo, <laughs> here it is here's the change you don't need to say no done for you now go for it kid and i spent the last year embracing it you know it it was a it's a struggle you go through these wild emotions all the the doubt and then you know doubling back on no this i want to make this work this is going to work just deciding this is going to work um and i think also creating, I started creating the tiny tips videos that tiny tips for your brain, <laughs> it's a little brain. Um, and that was the first time I really felt like I was creating something for me that I stood behind and there was no boss or manager or client or colleague or anybody to tell me not to do it this way, to, to edit it down, to tone it down, to play it safe. It's like, no. You want to go and put on wigs and dangle around, you know, a, a disco ball and waddle like a penguin. You do that. You go do that. You do whatever you want. So I released this show and that was another spark of like this. I feel like I'm onto something. This feels right. I get to communicate this information that I study voraciously and sometimes just like... Hey, cat, do you care about all this brain science I've been learning? You know, where am I going to put? I needed an outlet. Um, yeah. So I think it's, you know, it's a, it's an evolution that sometimes these things can, can look overnight externally too. And there's a, and by the way, she wasn't joking about walking around like a penguin. Just saying it's, it's Jocelyn Light. You never, you never know. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't powerful. answer your coach Oh, we're going to come back to that one. But there's something powerful about what you just said right now around when you finally stepped into who you were, when you owned your own story and it wasn't around the agencies, it wasn't around anyone telling you what to do, it wasn't around clients, it was more around you and what you do and you felt completely, in a sense, at peace. But prior to that, even though you had the same experience, you had the background, you had the training, because of that comfort zone that you were in you were scared to kind of take that that leap forward and it's always very interesting when i talk to a lot of senior leaders especially when they talk about their titles how they want to do so many different amazing things but then that their titles tend to stop them from pushing forward and looking at it from a, a brain perspective are there things that are happening inside our brain that are stopping us from from taking that leap and getting what we get to that fear and we can't push forward past it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your brain's primary job is to keep you alive. It has your all of your body to consider first. That is its purpose at the core. Is your heart pumping blood? You know, <laughs> are, you, are you able to move and walk and digest food and, uh, release it when, when you don't need it anymore. Um, are you processing all of this stuff? And then the brain also happens to do really cool things like think thoughts. We can communicate with language. To me, that is absolutely incredible. It's, you know, language is the birth of so much innovation. And I, I give it credit to a large part of how we got to where we are in what we're able to create and do. And um, imagine 
communicate. Mm. Well, it was back to your question. Um, yeah, we, we get really comfortable where we are, right? And your brain, again, its job is to say, here's what's going to keep you alive. So here's what we know to be true. The thing that you're doing right now, even if you're miserable and it's Groundhog Day to you, you're alive. So good job. Good job, us. Brain, I am doing my job. I am not going to allow you to think about uh, the possibility of these other terrifying things only because they're not proven because the brain is projecting the future based on the past, which we know is never really a successful uh, combination. And so it's doing everything in its power to remind you what's safe. That is staying in the comfort. Uh, do not pass go. Uh, you know, don't step outside of there. Don't jump off the cliff or whatever. It's going to create the change to it feel even bigger and scarier. And we'll start spinning out often on all the reasons you shouldn't do it. So if you want to do something like uh, finally launch your first app and you've been thinking about it for 20 years, um, but everything in you is your brain is telling these stories like that's not who you are. That's not what you do. Also, think of all the things you don't know. How are you going to design it? How are you going to develop it? What do you put it on? What platforms do you use? Do you have all the technology you need? Who's going to buy it? So you have all of this resistance and questions coming up for the purpose of keeping you where you are and staying safe. Mm. So how do you then push past that? Because in your scenario, COVID happened, you lost all your contracts. You can still regress backwards and be like, ooh, now it's really, really unsafe. Now is not the time to try something new. We're in a pandemic as opposed to actually this is the impetus for me to do what I've talked about for so long. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I started my business originally during the big recession. And then I feel like now I'm it, molting. <laughs> like... Um, evolving again during a global pandemic. So, and you know, with volcanoes and everything, seems pretty good. <laughs> so, it's on brand. On, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's like okay, a kind of the two choices, right? One is this huge event, a catastrophe, something that um, s- literally spins you off into another direction is a great opportunity to now step into that new adventure. Yeah, you could regress back. I could have, I, it's like as soon as I decided I'm not copywriting anymore, I'm not providing creative direction, I'm not doing messaging and brand voice. Three, you know, three clients come, they're like, here, I have this opportunity. And I really had to consider it. And, you know, I didn't want to put up a, a concrete barrier and say, I'm never doing that again. But I thought now I can be extremely thoughtful about what I say yes to and with my time. If I'm growing this new thing, my priority is on nurturing that soil, right? And, I, and if you think about, I often like to, to recommend this to people, think about deathbed you. What does that person most want you to do, create, experience, give back? Who is that person telling you to reach out to, to connect with, to tell them how you honestly feel, to tell the people you care about, you love them. What do they want you to be doing? Probably they don't want you to be sitting in your shell, you know, just miserable because you keep thinking about the what if and what if I tried and uh, there's this thing I really, really, really care about, but I can't do it. It's nuts. No one will ever buy it. It's crazy. You start, you know, all the self-doubt and how you get over that is i think that combination too think of think of deathbed you the number one regret of the dying is not pursuing what people felt was true to them and not expressing themselves honestly we got one short life you only got so many good years right so what's a tiny 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 little thing you can do today towards that we know well, I don't know how old you want to be, 120-year-old with good bones, um, <laughs> toward, toward that. <laughs> no one wants that. No one wants that. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's like we have a, you have a few decades and 
and break things down. And that's the tiniest little step you can take. It's like, for me, I wanted to come out as a brain coach and a tiny step to me that making the video the first time was a tiny step. I did it in one sitting. I've never been able to do that again because now I've added all these, you know, fast cuts and fun things. Um, but that felt like I can make this thing in a couple hours and just put it out there. That's just one little thing or even smaller, have a conversation with one person and tell them about why you're so excited to be doing what you're doing now, what you're working on right now, what is piquing your curiosity and bringing you joy. And that is, yeah, that's powerful. That so resonates because it's about stopping existing and start to live. Because like you said, you only get one shot of life, and especially the last 12, 15 months, whatever, since the pandemic started, that's something that's really, really come alive for a lot of people is that actually you can't hold on to your job title, it might go. You can't hold on to your position or your material wealth, that can easily go. It's more around what kind of life are you living and what kind of impact are you having on the rest of, of other people. And mm -hmm. the way that you're doing that, you do that in a very fun, vibrant, energetic way where a lot of people will be worried that, oh, if I show up like this, what are people going to think about me if I show up like this? I might not be professional. But you do what you do, and it comes across so, so well. So how do you get people to get shift their mindsets around, to stop worrying about what the world might think, and start to just live that purpose that you just talked about and if they want to wear a penguin suit or they want to show up and talk to a cat or play around with a brain, <laughs> do all of that and just and just have fun with it. Yeah. I, it's, again, thinking, what are you going to do with this one short, wild, precious life, right? You, it's We forget how to play. There's So there's this big study. Um, NASA commissioned people to look at creativity and... Uh, it was the biggest study I believe that's ever been done on measuring creativity. They, they often, or they resorted to mostly um, convergent versus divergent thinking. So they would use like the multiple use test. If you look at something, an object like a spoon or a box, and then how many uh, ways can you think about this thing existing in the world? What purposes can it serve other than scooping applesauce and hiding cats? Obviously that's what you do with a box. You hide cats. Um, and at the, there's the, the kids at, you know, five, four or five years old were genius level creativity. Over the years, there's like this depressing slide. You just watch the percentage go down and down and down. And then by the time we're in our late 20s, early 30s, which by the way is when your frontal lobe is really starting to finalize its development, uh, your creativity has been squashed down so much because our our culture is, you know, coming out of the industrial age, we haven't changed enough to match now in mostly a knowledge economy. We've changed so quickly with the internet and the way we do business, but we, but our systems have not caught up. So they're misaligned. Um, so it's thinking about, you know, these are just structures. They're, they're guidelines, they're guideposts, and uh, you get to decide what makes sense for you. You got to, you're the only one who can give yourself permission to do that. And if you can get out and play, one of my favorite quotes, Dr. Stuart Brown wrote the book on play. Once you stop playing, you start dying. Find a way to spark that childlike wonder, that feeling you had when you learned about stars and, you know, heard a dolphin giggle. Uh, or whatever it was in your childhood, just as simple as that feeling we had when it was raining out and we were so delighted just to get sopping wet, jumping in puddles. How can we rediscover that part of ourselves and let that come out and play? Because who, again, you're the only one who can do that. And who do you want to show up as and be for other people? What do you want to give other people permission to do? Uh and when you're thinking about who's judging you, I mean, my friend Vicky Quinn quotes this one a lot. Uh, it's the, the ones who mind don't matter and the ones who matter don't mind, right? It, ultimately, you never know what's going on in somebody else's brain. You let alone 
knowing really what's going on in yours. We don't understand that much about the brain and even our own. We don't know what we're thinking half the time. We change our minds all the time. So don't go around pretending you know what other people are thinking. Who cares what they type in a in a heated rage, uh, you know, behind a screen? Uh, there are a lot of trolls out there, and a lot of them are upset because they don't feel they have the permission to play and be themselves. They feel shut down. So yeah, get out there, have fun. Who um, inspires you to have fun? Are there people that you look at? Is it comedy? Is it comedians? Is it, what is it? What do you get your inspiration from when it comes to fun? Oh, we'll definitely get into some comedy. Uh, <laughs> I think um, both of my parents are big inspirations to me. They're very different people. Um, they even live as far apart as you can get. <laughs> they, they, uh, my dad's in Hawaii and my mom's in Florida. And she's Canadian, so she you know, daydreams of going back there sometimes. Um, and they're both really playful people. Um, my dad, I just remember him, I would always beg for him to like make this weird bird face. I can't even replicate it. As a kid, it just was so delightful to me. He, uh, he was like, you know, class clown and an entertainer. He's a brilliant entertainer. And as a kid, I was so shy. I was painfully shy. So I really looked up to that. And then of course we would watch, you know, Richard Pryor and George Carlin and watched so much comedy growing up and I loved it. I just thought, what is a cooler job? I mean, there's a lot of cool jobs, but to go out and tell these masterful stories that combine vulnerability, deep human truths, tragedy, uh, the spectrum of what we are and what we're capable of and to just transport people for an hour in this way with with words is is magical to me then you used to run a comedy night or something like that i did i ran a um i co-hosted and co-produced a <clears throat> stand-up storytelling and comedy show <coughs> it wasn't in that order it's a stand-up comedy and storytelling show okay um yeah, for about two years, it was, uh, yeah, a friend and I were kind of on a whim. We're like, we should do a show. Yeah, we didn't, we were, we did improv together and we didn't want to do an improv show. We just, no. Um, <laughs> we wanted to bring together the things we, we loved, the storytelling shows that we saw. We went on a trip to New York and like these underground, you know, it's like people from the Onion or College Humor would come up and tell stories. Pretty great. And then also that vibe of um, obviously the, the stand-up comedians and how could we bring those together in a place where people might not think to go. So we went to a winery and we pitched the idea. Um, they said yes. We're like, oh no, now we have to do the show. Oh, once uh, <laughs> you tell someone. Um, yeah, it was, it was such a wonderful experience and we got incredible talent portland is a wonderful place for people uh you know learning to fly in comedy we've had people go down to la um and get on you know conan colbert comedy central the people on our show uh one of them when it had like a uh what was it he was on conan i think that later that week we're like no big deal we just got a comedian who's going to be on conan and yeah i it brought me so much joy because I am not a stand-up comedian, but I respect the hell out of those skills and the the work that they put in. Thankless nights, you know, uh, performing for a, a group of other comedians late at night just to practice their stuff. And it's 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 incredible what the the commitment and the skill that goes into it. So it was an honor to to be able to bring them up on stage and and have a little bit of that. You did know, you, um, light shine on to me and the audience. Did you ever try it? I don't think I did a, I had a theater class in college when I was like 18 and we, we practiced all kinds of different skills. So we had one stand up comedy exercise and, um, I really enjoyed it. I did not think I was so scared. And when the very first thing that came out when people laughed as like oh i get it i get why you come up it's worth it for that laugh that feels wonderful and then you know there's like crickets so you 
to navigate. Um, but no, I never really, I went to a lot of open mics. I supported my friend who was, who's up and coming. Um, but I didn't, uh, honestly, I think it was par- partially running my business, getting my brain coaching certification. I was very experienced at burning the candle at both ends. And I didn't want to uh, do, add the late night on top of responding to corporate clients. You know, it's a, it didn't seem like a really good combination. So how about now when the world's opening up and you're your own woman owning your own story? Would you do it? Hey, man, why not give it a try? <laughs> no, I, think I, think, I think you're brilliant at it because you do, when you do what you do now, when you do your videos, you come across just like, like I said, fun, vibrant. Um, and I think that will really translate well on a bigger scale when you've, when you've had time to hone your skills and, and, and do that with an audience. Yeah, I think um, part of why I like to say, so I'm a, you know, coach, facilitator, speaker. And what I love about saying speaker is people don't expect you to be funny. But if you say stand up comedian, well, you better, you better come out (laughs) with something to make me laugh. But speaker a lot, they're like, well, give me an inspirational speaker, whatever. Could be good, could be not. Um, But maybe that's just a story I'm telling myself. Mm. Watch the space. Watch the space. And in terms of um, the way our our brains work, you mentioned around the fact that when we get to our early 20s, our brains kind of set in a, in a particular pattern. But then when you look at neuroscience and neuroplasticity over the last couple of years, we find that we can actually rewire our brain. Because one of the biggest statements I hear is, I can't change it. Or you can't, I just can't change. I'm too old. That's done. Mm-hmm. That's, that's no part of me. But actually, science has proven that we can change things. So I just wanted to go into that a little bit further around what does that actually look like and how can we start to change our brain and rewire new synapses to get new connections so we can get more and more moving away from the stories we tell ourselves and recognize that we actually have a new world in front of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> it's, a, it's like anything that the annoying answer is you just got to keep, you got to practice, you got to put in the reps, just you got to commit over and over. It's just like, you want to get in shape? Well, guess what? One day of working out, it's not going to do that, right? <laughs> and one day of going overboard isn't going to do it because you're just going to probably bound back. This is why making New Year's resolutions is usually uh, a shit show because people can't stick to these, these big goals because they're not developing everyday habits to achieve them. And then the construct around that of reinforcing the habits, you have to congratulate yourself. I mean... A tiny tip, neuroscientists swear by this. If you give yourself even just saying, yay, when you did a little thing, I did one push-up. Yay, go me. I did what I said I was going to do. You're you're reinforcing, you're giving yourself a happy little neurochemical bath. So your brain is going, oh, okay, this, this is good. This is working. So it's not freaking out about, no, you're doing this new terrible thing. Let's tell you all the reasons why. It's like, oh, you did a little thing. I'm going to give you a little dopamine reward. Um, and persistence, right? And that is comes with you're proving to yourself that you follow through on the things you say you're going to do. And that's also an exercise and a skill. Um, and as far as neuroplasticity itself, I got really interested. My whole world opened up to it when my dad had a stroke. I was in my early 20s. He was 59. And the Broca area of his brain was damaged. I learned that because I wanted to understand how is it that he had a stroke, something in his brain burst, uh, the connections were damaged, some severed. He couldn't turn the thoughts from his brain into speech that we could recognize. This is devastating. He got it back. He got that ability back. It was consistent effort like he would painfully just you know look at a object and over and over until he could say the word so it's like okay a physically damaged brain that had a stroke can rewire can heal and create new synapses and connections what else is possible and the same is true i mean if you think of 
thoughts as your habits and they go on these tracks, these patterns, the famous neuro neuroscientist quote is neurons that fire together or neurons that fire together, wire together. So if you're creating these habits of thought over and over and over and reinforcing them, giving yourself that little yay, knowing it's a process, it's going to take time. Uh, you will be creating new habits, new wires, new tracks of thought and story and what you believe is possible and what you know to be true because you've proven it to yourself. That's the, it's that bit of proving to yourself that I think people tend to actually forget because that's the reward. Like you said, it's even like um, when you go for, when you wake up in the morning and you don't feel great, but you're like, I know I should exercise. When you actually go and do it, even though you might be slow as hell, by the time you actually come back, you feel good about it. And your brain's like, well done for doing that. And then that gives you an extra energy boost on top of the one you just got and the different chemicals just been released from the dopamine from running because you're like, I did something great. And then that starts to help you reinforce those kind of habits. But then it also works <laughs> the other way when it comes to doing bad things. So whether it's, <laughs> it's food or whatever it is that's a bad habit for you, if you reinforce those behaviors, again, your brain rewards you for, for doing those things and those those wires, like you said, to kind of stick together and keep on running over and over again. How was your, mm-hmm. um, when your dad was going through that process, what was that like for for you, just seeing him grow and and change and come back to, to normal? Yeah, it was, I was, um, how old was I? 21 or so, 22, something like that. And uh, I was here in Portland. I had just moved here uh, a couple of years moving here from Hawaii. And so I remember getting the news. And I'm like, he's, you know, thousands of miles away in this hospital. And I booked a trip as soon as I could. Um, I don't remember exactly how many. It was a couple months I could get over there, you know, just saving up and, uh, I saved everything I could to go fly, fly back home. It was expensive for me as you know, bartending and, and being responsible, like going out to drink. So, um, I had to make sacrifices. And then I remember just talking to him. I was so like amazed that he could talk again. Um, when I first heard him, when I'd called the hospital right after it happened, it was, it was so mumbled. I put myself on mute so he couldn't hear me like tr- dry sob and was just like bewildered. I didn't know what to say. I didn't want him to hear me so upset. Uh, I was just like trying to hold it together because uh, my kiss can't be easy for him sitting in the hospital having to tell his daughter. It's like, uh, it's like what is he saying? Whew. And and talking to him about it, just like, yeah, he just, it was, it was like, sometimes painfully a lot of work and just he had also a very storied past he had taught um kids who couldn't speak and couldn't hear he taught sign language he would do that by putting letters in their hands um and he and he was you know a very experienced musician and um so he learned a lot about how language forms literally in the mouth and how to teach language to people who couldn't speak it. And I think that those were helpful and he knew how much time and effort that those took. So, yeah, it was um, it was a wake up call to me that, again, your your brain is capable of so much and it can it can literally change by a consistent effort and practice. Wow, that's that's amazing. The way things kind of go 360 from teaching kids who can't talk to being in that situation, which you never imagined, and then actually teaching yourself what you taught other people in the first place. That's, wow, I never know that, man. Yeah. And for someone who's, um, you've had some good leaders, some bad leaders you've managed and you've led other people in your company as well over the years what's your definition of leadership oh yeah i think are you creating something 
better and leaving something better and the people around you better than than how you found it and by better i mean do people feel like they can they're more at ease being themselves that they can play and take risks they can explore and pursue what their curiosity and passion you know where that takes them do they feel honored trusted and nourished to do the same uh, for others are you passing that along i think that's that's what comes to mind when i think of leadership that is deep really <laughs> i like it i like it i like it when it gets deep like that so do you think forward yeah. to your future your journey as a brain coach what does success look like to you Having an adventure where I get to, on a practical sense, it's multiple revenue streams, right? So it's like a, not being tied to one thing. We, we know how well I do <laughs> with that. Um, <laughs> but a combination of I would love to do once we can travel again more freely. I love traveling so much. Um, and I have my dad in Hawaii, my mom in Florida, my sister and cousin in Canada. My boyfriend grew up in the Netherlands, but he's from Morocco and uh, people in China where he used to live. So we have people all over the world that we want to see, let alone the places we want to discover on top of that. There's so much of this world to see. I, I just I, the nature and all of that. So I think making sure that is a core part of my life, connecting with new people and the natural world um, deeply. Um, laughing a lot and creating stuff that I'm, I'm proud of and that improves someone's day or even life, uh, even just a little bit. What's been your, your favorite location so far to travel to and why? Patagonia. Um, yeah, I went, my best friend at the time she was, she had been inviting me to a few places and I, I kept saying, no, I can't, I can't because I'm running a business and what will it do without me? Um, and you know, I hadn't really gotten used to it yet. Um, <laughs> and she's, you know, she's like, dude. I'm planning to have a family. It's probably the last trip I'm going to take for a while. I'm like, okay, I'll come. I'll do it. And yeah, we went. It was, uh, I think, about 10 days or two weeks total. 10 days of trekking through uh, the W in Patagonia. And it was just devastatingly beautiful. I, I couldn't believe what my eyes were seeing for so much of it. And I'd come from a very beautiful place, right? Hawaii is amazing. Uh, going to Patagonia is a completely different kind of landscape and beauty. I'd never seen, it's like, what are these, why are there blocks of ice in the water? Um, just majestic. At one point during that trip, we went to, I did no research. She plans everything. That works out great for me. <laughs> Planning is not high on my list of skills. Uh, and so we were going up to see the, this big point. I still can't remember the name of it, but it's this like big famous spot. People go to see you like these three pillars and a glacial lake. And I didn't know what we're doing. And we had to change. We had to swap days because of weather. And we go all the way up here. We get to the top and it's just like totally covered in clouds, but it's gorgeous. It's like turquoise, you know, glacier lake. And we sit and we have lunch, we enjoy it. And then me and Nova are like, all right, let's head back. Can we go back? Group's like, cool. We're like, cool. So we're going scrambling ahead on these rocks. I turn around to make sure, you know, is Nova okay? And above her head, I see the, the, the sky is falling. Like the clouds are parting. And I don't understand. I Brain does not compute what is happening because it's like a thousand feet up and there's something like gleaming sunshine. And I don't, it's, it's so the, 
sky keeps the clouds keep parting and by the way nova's mom at the time was chanting in hawaiian uh so this is in the background to clear the skies and um it completely dissolves like the clouds pull apart like a curtain and there's these gleaming rocks just like ah. um i felt like it was in the never-ending story or something and it's this the most amazing sight. It lasted for five or 10 minutes and then sealed back up. And we went back down. And the next day, which is the day we were supposed to go on this one, it snowed. So we couldn't have gone. Uh, I cried when we left that place because uh, it's just, it's Earth's bounty. It's like so incredible. Wow, that description just makes me just want to travel <laughs> as you were talking like i just want to travel i want to go out there and sounds so picturesque and i guess when you think about argentina and that's not actually what comes to mind but the way right. you just described that right now is that wow sounds so so beautiful i definitely i'm going to add it to my list of places to go and visit just to see nature's bounty yeah and guess what you can see penguins penguinos <laughs> what is it with your penguins <laughs> i don't know i just think they're so they're the best just look at them look at them walk you can't be delighted when you're looking at a penguin walking it's just like oh my god do, 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 do. even once a uh, uh, hot tip tiny tip if you're ever feeling frustrated with someone so once i had a client I was having a really difficult time um d- seeing through her lens and uh, so I imagined her, I liked to say, an emotionally fragile penguin. <gasps> and immediately, <gasps> she's now the most adorable thing. Oh, she's just trying to communicate stuff and look how cute. And I, I just want to, like, it's okay. It's okay, penguin. I got you. <laughs> you know what? I'm not, you know what? Actually, I might try that. I might try that with a client. Just... Because my eyes just imagine you're a penguin. How does that make you feel? Uh, (laughs) See, this is what I'm talking about. And this is why when we're talking, I was like, the authenticity and the realness and the fun just comes out. And when you're talking about such a complicated subject, especially like the brain, that's what you want. You don't want a scientist coming down and breaking things down in, in... ways and names that you can't understand you want someone to to come down and be like actually this is how your brain works and this is how it links into you and your story that you're telling yourself and how it's either holding you back from yourself or within your organization and changing certain things and that's something that you you do so well that's something that you've definitely done today and breaking things down for us so thank you so much for for coming on and what's your thing with coaching i haven't forgotten what was my oh coaching coaching i think with coaching 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 uh yeah i guess i just like didn't i had um it had a branding problem in my brain and i, I associated coaching with kind of this like charlatan you know like i don't what is coaching and i felt like a lot of people in coaching were taking advantage of others and over promising things and putting on a, a big dog and pony show and not really following through. And there's a lot of really just just sleazy sales tactics. Like, whoa, if you can't afford it, do you have a credit card? Come on. Like, that's disgusting. So I associated coach with a lot of, of that uh, negative sewage swamp of thinking. Um, and then I just realized I get to decide what it means. I get to own it. Call myself a brain coach. I get to decide what I want that to look and feel like. And hopefully it comes across. That it definitely does. Where can people find out a lot more about you and what you do and the videos that you put out there are absolutely amazing. Yeah, I'm uh, Jocelyn Brady on LinkedIn, jocelynbrady.com. And you can find me on YouTube and Instagram at jocelthem, where I release those tiny tips. Also on LinkedIn and another hot tip any kind of content you create where you're having fun and it's goofy and you're laughing, you're making other people laugh, put it on LinkedIn. It's thirsty for it. Facts, because that place is boring sometimes. But (laughs) (laughs) this is Everyday Leadership. 
see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Leadership. You can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them. You can listen to old episodes or if you have a question about this episode or any other episodes, you can just press a button and ask me that question and I'll answer it on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, share this podcast with someone else. We'll see you next time on Everyday Leadership.